This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 56 of Retired Racehorse Radio on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and Cashel Company. Retired Racehorse Radio is your guide to the adoption, care, and retraining of the retired racehorse, brought to you in cooperation with the Retired Racehorse Project and New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program. Well, I hope you guys are buckled up because we have a jam-packed episode for you today. Alonzo Kobe from Fort Hall Indian Reservation joins us to talk about Indian relay races. Tad Coffin returns for part three of the gold standard of the thoroughbred. Melissa Hamm is our RRP spotlight rider and our training queen, Leandra Cooper, brings us another training tip and our adoptable horse of the week. Listen in. And they're off on Retired Racehorse Radio, the podcast that is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. This is Troy Hills in Detroit, Michigan, missing Jamie Jennings of Norman, Oklahoma. Sorry, guys, it's just me today, but you're listening to Retired Racehorse Radio nonetheless. So unfortunately, Jamie wasn't able to make it with us today. She had a quick little family thing, but uh, luckily it's it's all going to be good. So I won't bore you with things in my life because I'll just tell you, it's hot in Michigan. We went from like 40 degrees to 90 degrees. It's sweltering. It's a struggle. That is all of the updates in my life, but nothing more, nothing less. We have a great show for you today. It's it's just packed full. I think you're really going to love it. So instead of me rambling about nothing interesting about myself, we'll just jump in with our premier sponsor, Kentucky Performance Products. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Managing horses can be challenging. Each horse's personality affects the way he behaves and reacts to the world around him. Horses with certain dispositions can be at higher risk for developing health problems than others. High-strung or excitable horses are easily stressed, but so is the timid, quiet warrior. Stressed horses are more likely to develop digestive upsets that lead to colic, diarrhea, and ulcers. Nalox Advanced was specifically developed to support a digestive tract that is under stress. It sustains proper pH levels, reducing the incidence of ulcers and hindgut imbalances, while simultaneously supporting the healing of damaged tissues. Nalox Advanced supports the complete digestion of starches and sugars and sustains populations of beneficial bacteria. Make life a little easier on your sensitive horse and start him on Nalox Advanced today. To learn more about the ingredients in Nalox Advanced, visit Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. privilege of mine to have Alonzo Kobe, who was born and raised on the Fort Hall Indian Reservation. He's joining us today to talk about the original horse racing of the country, guys. It's insane that it's not talked about more, but he's coming on as the president of the Fort Hall Indian Relay Race Association, just to share about how important it is for us to know this. So welcome to the show, Alonzo. First of all, I just want to thank you all for having me on the show today. Indian Relay Racing I'm so honored and blessed to be part of this unique culture that we have here on our Fort Hall Indian Reservation, which is the home of the Shoshone tribes. You know, Indian Relay has been passed on from generation to generation, and I've been told it's been going on over 
500 years. And my family has been involved in it for, this will be the fourth generation. My grandfather, the late Kino Kobe Yambasai, was a jockey. And he's probably the most well-known jockey in the Indian country, and especially here on our reservation here at home. Then my father did it. His name was Lonzo Kobe. And fortunately enough, I was a jockey for 30-plus years. And now my son's doing it. Indian relay is a really unique sport. And you're right, it hasn't been talked about. It's not in the mainstream media. But until recently, it's grown over the years. And here locally, we have around 15 teams. But across Indian country, it's growing so rapidly. I'd say there's over 100 teams participating in Indian relays. Now, each team members have four team members. One's the holder, one's the mugger, and one's the catcher. And of course, you have the jockey. Starts off like any other race. The guys ride bareback, and you have three horses. Mm-hmm. And the main horse starts off, and they'll go around the track, come in and make an exchange at full speed, and ride the horse around the track and come in for their last exchange. And it's just an adrenaline rush. And when you see these kids ride, you'll be amazed. So it's just been an honor to grow up here on the reservation and be part of this such a cultural event. Absolutely. And it's beautiful to hear that this is a generational sport for you and I don't think a lot of people, I I know we all, a lot of us riders, someone in our family introduced it to us, but it's very different for you guys because it's a huge part of your culture. And if anyone, I highly encourage our listeners to go ahead and Google Indian relay races because it's extreme riding. You guys are bareback on these horses. You jump on, jump off, switching Uh, between horses. It it makes the Kentucky Derby look easy. I'm just going to say it, Alonzo. It makes it look really easy compared to what you guys do. Tell us a little bit about the horses that you use for and what breed they are and how you pick them and what makes a good racehorse for the sport. Over the years, I've been fortunate to learn how to pick horses from Clarence Teton. He's been in the Indian Relays for a long time. Started out as three brothers for the Teton team, and I was just been blessed to ride for that team. So anyway, back to the horses. We purchased some horses off the racetrack, of course, but then more recently, we've had horses that we've raised. And mm-hmm. so you don't know what you're going to get when you get from a retired racehorses, because sometimes, unfortunately, those horses are just ran, 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 ran. And when they come off the track, there may be some issues with those retired racehorses. We really look over the horses and try to look at their past performances on the track if we're purchasing a horse off the racetrack and to see if they have any medical issues because we don't want to hurt a horse any more than they already have been hurt. We as Indian people, we really respect our those four-legged animals and you know mm-hmm. they're part of our family. So what we'd look for is the size of the horses, especially if, the, if we're running on a half-mile track. We usually tend to use appendix horses. Mm-hmm. which is half thoroughbred and half quarter horses. But of course, if you go the distance for the mile truck, you want the thoroughbreds. And a lot of it has to do with the breeding too. Like we look at the horses, where they're from, mm-hmm. you know, where their, where their daddies are, if they can run that distance. We have a uh, few horses that we just bought, recently bought one out of Bernardini. And he's a, a well-known stud in the paramutual racing. So we really look at the breeding of the horse, you know, where they're from. So we're just like any other horse owner racehorse owner. We really do our homework 
look at them. Mm-hmm. But most importantly, we we make sure that we don't go and purchase a broke down horse. And for our family, when it comes to the horses, like any other in the paramutual racing industry, you see a lot of the horses go to other farms and are, I'm not sure what they do with them, but on ours, when we purchase a horse, we let them retire and let them be out in the field for the rest of their lives. We just don't abuse them. So we really take care of our horses along with all the other relay teams here on our reservation. Oh, I love that. That, And it's so relatable. I think for anyone who listens to this show, they, they care about the aftercare, they care about the retraining, and they care about the adoption and forever homes of these horses. So that's going to hit a lot of people very much at home for them. So as far as confirmation of these horses, I doubt you're looking for a 17-hand, full-body thoroughbred to jump onto. Are you looking more for closer to the 15-hand? What makes the right confirmation for these racehorses? You know what? You might find this kind of funny, but we've had some really tall horses. And that's why I'm saying it goes back to the jockey and how they keep themselves in shape. So we've had some really tall thoroughbreds, on, especially on our, our team, because they managed to run the mile and the mile 16th race, mm-hmm. racetracks. So we need those taller horses with a lot of an endurance. The thoroughbreds, you know, all the thoroughbreds are between what, 15 to 17 hands. So if you've actually seen Indian Relay live, you'd know some of the horses are kind of tall. And that's why the jockeys themselves has to be in tip-top shape to make those exchanges on those horses. But we got some shorter horses also. Those race horses, have, they have a lot of heart. And they could be trained to run that distance that they need to. That's amazing. I feel like I, I need to reach out to some of your jockeys for fitness programs because my thoroughbred's only 16 hands. And if I try to jump on her bareback, I'm just going to slam right to the side of her. So <laughs> that's really impressive. I'd love to talk a little bit more about the jockeys themselves. So in what most people think of horse racing in America, the jockeys have their silks, these known colors for that particular horse. What do you guys do? Is it as far as, I mean, it's traditional Native American garments, which is, it's beautiful to look at, but do you guys have the same significance with some sort of coloring for each of you? Like, how do you make that work? Here locally on the Fort Hall Indian Reservation, this place is the home of Indian Relay, and this where it originated from. Our local teams here, a lot of our teams have their team colors. We have the Teton teams with the turquoise teams, turquoise colors, and you got the Kobe team with the purple. And yeah, Indian, Indian really across Indian country, you see some other teams from, from Montana or South Dakota or Wyoming. Some of them, they have their colors, but you, you'll see them dressing up in their traditional garment, mm-hmm. you know, regalia. I should say regalia. Mm-hmm. But, you know, here locally, we, you don't see that happening because it's just about racing and it's about the horsemanship. And I tell you what, being a former jockey, if I had to wear some of the regalia, it would would have been a lot more difficult for me. That's just my personal opinion, though, as a former jockey. I just like wearing Mm -hmm. my ribbon shirt and my shorts. It made a lot more easier for me because exchanges, I tell you what, they're difficult at times. I believe that. I want to go back when you said it's more popular than Kentucky Derby. I just want to give you a, little, a short story. My background, I'm, I'm a backcountry snowmobiler also. And I had brought two friends to the reservation a few years ago. And one of them actually won the X Games in snowmobiling. 
His oh, name wow. is Steve Martin and my friend Randy Sugihara. They are really excellent backcountry snowmobilers, and they wanted to see what Indian Relay was about. So they came to their first race and witnessed it. And here you have two professional athletes seeing what these jockeys were doing and see what these horses were doing. And I remember Steve's comment. He goes, man, this is better than the Kentucky Derby. Mm. You know, those kids sure can ride. And more importantly, those horses sure can run. So if you ever get an opportunity to watch Indian Relay live, it's, it's life-changing. You'll be hooked on it. You'll become a big fan. I would 100% agree with that. I watched a couple videos prior to our interview today, and my jaw was just to the floor, the athleticism, the heart, but it was more the, the partnership. It was a different type of partnership than you see in traditional horse racing. You know, we'd all be lying to ourselves if we knew there wasn't the money backing the horse racing industry, but it's different for you guys. You're This is a genuine, traditional thing that you take to the heart and it's a partnership between horse and rider and it's beautiful to watch and definitely very exciting to watch as well you bring up the the money factor into the sport yeah of course it costs a lot of money to Mm -hmm. uh, upkeep for the horses but you know what most of the teams out here they do it because it's the love of the sport it's our tradition Mm -hmm. it's our culture and okay so here locally it's not a really about the money aspect mm-hmm. of horse racing. It's about the tradition and culture for each respective tribe. What's been instilled in us since we're, we were young is to always share your, pass your culture down to your generations to generations. And I think we've done that really good when it comes to Indian relays because we have a lot of new teams on the reservation here in Fort Hall that are getting active in relays. So as far as Indian relay goes, goes here is that we want it to continue. We want it to grow. We want to see a lot more of our youth becoming involved in Indian Relay. And we've done a really good job at that. We're just so proud to be called the home of Indian Relay, and that's the Shoshone Bending Tribes. Oh, I love it. I'm like, I have chills from all of that. It, it's, it is such a beautiful thing to watch. And you're close by to this area, I highly recommend to go check it out, watch videos. You don't want to miss it. It's a beautiful thing. So before we end today, because I just have two questions that I would love for you to answer. The first one being a little bit more traditional, if you will, and the other one being more fun questions. So I'll go with the heavy hitter first. Is this something that you only really see people of native descent participating in, or have you opened it up to people who are non-native descent? I'll give an example. Around 10 years ago, there was, we, we were participating in, I believe it was Wyoming, mm-hmm. in a race, and some non-Indians said, well, we can beat you Indians at your own sport. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, let's try it. And mm-hmm. all I can say it was a mistake on their part because they didn't know what they were getting into. <laughs> they didn't really how they understand how fit the jockey had to be, how fit the horses had to be, and you know that's mm-hmm. the only time it's ever happened. But we have so many non-Indians following Indian Relay. The sport has grown all over Indian country. We have races that we're going to have teams going to Oklahoma here mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks. So it's, Indian Relay is growing, and we just want to share our tradition and culture with other tribes that haven't even seen it yet. You know, but we have a lot of teams from Montana, Wyoming, North Dakota, mm-hmm. South Dakota, Washington. 
mostly in the Northwest. Mm-hmm. It's a huge Indian Relay family. That's amazing. That's definitely amazing and beautiful. Have to, my, unfortunately, my co-host wasn't able to make it today. Her name's Jamie, but she's located in Oklahoma, so I'll push her to go out there and check it out and support you guys for those races. But with my fun question, I have to ask, Alonso, are there any like fun rivalries within these things between different competitive groups? I would love to know. Like, Who, who should we watch out for for the fun races? Who should we watch out for? You know what? I get asked that question all the time. Anything can happen on any given day. You have, of course, you have the relay teams that have been dominant over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. But on any, any given day, anyone can win the race. It's, just a, it's a whole team effort by your holder, your mugger. There's anything that can go wrong. Your jockey can overjump a horse and valuable seconds can be lost. So I just praise anyone who gets out on the track. And all I do is just pray for their safety and pray safety for the jockeys of the team and mostly the horses. Because when I was a jockey, I said, I'm just a rider. It's the horses that are actually doing all the work. Mm. You know, I, and I truly believe that. And if you ask a lot of the jockeys, you know, the horses can tell how you're feeling on any given certain day. Mm-hmm. I think you become one. When you're out there on the track, when you're riding them, horses are a very special animal. Absolutely. And we care for them. I hope that answers your question. You know, it does. It does. It wasn't what I thought I was going to get, but it was something better for sure. So, Alonzo, thank you so much for joining us today. If people want to learn more about Indian Relay Races, where can they find you? You can look on the Shoshone Bannock Tribe's website and also the Fort Hall Indian Relay Association Facebook. We have scheduled nationals here in September 5th, 6th, 9th, 10th, and 11th. And what that is, it's the National Indian Relay Championships, and you'll see all the tough teams from Indian country participating on that weekend. It's so much fun. So I encourage you, whoever's listening, if you ever want to see something exciting and true horse racing, look up Indian Relay. It'll be life-changing for you to see these people, these horses, these athletes. That's why I got into it. It was life-changing for me. I'm so grateful to have been able to ride for such awesome people. And most of all, and I truly honestly believe this, is that it was a blessing for me to ride all those wonderful horses. Oh, I couldn't think of a better sentence to end on. Thank you so much, Alonzo. We so appreciate you sharing this with us today. Yes, thank you, and have a good day. You too. We have our RRP Spotlight Rider of the episode. We have Melissa Ham, who I'm just going to say it. She's a total badass. Not only is she entering the makeover for the first time, she's a full-time pilot, guys. She's a pilot. Like, what a cool job. So, Melissa, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to hear about you and your horse. Thank you so much for having me, and you are really too kind. (laughs) I can't even imagine. It's clear. So you were a jumper prior to this. You were an amateur hunter jumper, and you also are a pilot. It's clear you like a little bit of an adrenaline rush. What made you decide to go towards the makeover? COVID presented an opportunity. When it first happened, I found myself grounded from flying, and my mom had her, she has three racehorses retired off the track they were up in Washington with her and it just really presented itself as something I could do to help my mom retrain these horses and and maybe to sell them 
and to keep my mind off of what was kind of happening in the world. And it allowed me to get back into riding. I hadn't ridden in five years. I had been busy working. And so it just all the stars aligned. And then it was, we began working with my 2020 hopeful, Blueberry Acclaim. My mom and I was just the two of us. And we just, we fell in love with her, with all of the horses, just with the whole, the Retired Racehorse Project, the whole thing just spoke to us. And, and it really honestly been a blessing in a time like this too. Absolutely. I think as traumatic as this time has been for a lot of us, it's also given us a lot of opportunities to try new things. So I think it's amazing that you decided to take on a retired racehorse project. And it's your horse has something kind of special that most competitors don't have. Your mom actually bred these horses. So thoroughbreds have been in your life for a while now. What was it about this horse out of the three that stood out for you? With Blueberry, because you're right, my mom, she bred and raced Blueberry Acclaim. And actually, at the time when I first came up to Washington, at the barn where also my retired horses are all at, down the street from my mom, she, at the time, only had Blueberry Acclaim and then War Candy. They were four and three years old at the time, and War Candy was coming off of an injury. So it presented itself as an easy, you know, I'm going to start retraining Blueberry. My best friend, who is also an airline pilot, she is doing the retraining process on War Candy now for 2021. But so we just turned her out for the rest of the year for her to recover from her injury. And and it, it was really fun because my mom and I, we haven't, uh, I have her here sitting with me, by the way. We grew up riding together. I, well, I grew up riding with my mom and we hadn't done it in a long time. So it also just was this opportunity for us to spend time together doing something we love more than anything. Oh, I, love, I also really adore that this horse's name is Blueberry. As a fan of Charlotte Dujardin, I was like, oh, Blueberry, like one of the greatest dressage horses of all time. And so now you have a horse that kind of has a similar name and hopefully carrying as strong of a personality. So are you hoping to do jumpers with Blueberry? I am. I'm hoping to do the show jumpers and the show hunters with her. That's what I know is both of those events. And she has really shown an aptitude for both. She's been mm-hmm. just wonderful. I am hoping with my 2021 horse, Sixes, to try something maybe a little different and, and try dressage, so branch out somehow. So we'll see. Yeah. The nice thing is they almost go hand in hand. Great flat work leads to great jumping mm-hmm. and jumping is great crossover for dressage horses. So definitely something nice and a good plan to have. What are you doing to prep Blueberry for the makeover? I started her retraining in Washington, and this is all going to probably sound a little bit crazy, but I live in Southern California, and I was commuting back and forth between the two because my husband is in Southern California. And we, last summer, we finally, we brought Blueberry down to California, to Orange County, so that I could have my trainer, my, my childhood trainer who... I've ridden with since day one. She helped me with Blueberry. And we began to take her to some shows, some local shows down in Southern California. We got up to competing in the 0.90 meter at Thermal this uh, winter. And then we actually swapped the two horses. So Blueberry has been up in Washington. She got a couple months off while I started my 2021. And now next, next week, I'm actually moving to Kentucky and I'm taking the two of them to Kentucky to continue their training. 
That's so exciting. Well, we'll definitely want to be following that journey. So speaking of, if people want to see how Blueberry is progressing as you come up to the makeover, where can they follow you? Yeah, I have an Instagram that follows both of my horses and it's at keep high standards. And so I've got, I've got the updates on both horses. And we'll have that in our show notes too, because I'm sure with all of our competitors, it's just exciting to see how everyone's progressing forward with them. And just, it's such a crazy year and we're all excited to get back into the show phase. And we weren't even sure Land Rover was going to happen. So with the mega makeover, it's just something once in a lifetime, I think we're going to see, hopefully see, maybe, (laughs) maybe hope is the best word. that Land Rover happened for us, right? Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. That was a good sign of hope for the horse world that we yeah, all need for sure. Well, thank you so much, Melissa, for joining us. We're excited to follow you and your journey. And we're we'll excited to see you in October. And best of luck to you and Blueberry. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Hello, everyone. It's producer George to tell you about fly season. Yes, it's fly season. The season we all dread our horses as they roll, kick, scratch, and buck us around all because of those dang flies. But don't worry, Cashel Company's got your back. Cashel Company's Crusader line has everything you and your horse need to stay fly-free and comfortable this summer. Available in fly masks, fly sheets, and fly boots, Cashel's Company Crusader line comes in an array of styles and sizes that offer an amazing alternative to chemical-based fly sprays that are expensive and don't last long. Don't forget to check out Cashel's Quiet Ride line as well to enjoy those long summer hacks and not worry about the flies ruining your ride. Treat you and your horse to some fly-free comfort and check out Cashel Company's Crusader and Quiet Ride products today at any of their nationwide authorized dealers or visit www.cashelcompany.com. I'm excited to bring on Tad Coffin, a man who really doesn't need an introduction, but just in case you're coming late to the party for our gold medal series of the Thoroughbred, he's a two-time gold medal winning athlete who won the 1976 Olympics on his amazing thoroughbred Valley Corps. And even after winning the gold, he still continues to educate riders and trainers, as well as developed an amazing line of innovative saddles and the Theratry. So welcome back to the show, Tad. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. Oh, we're great to have you. It's so much fun. And we've gotten such a amazing positive response for our listeners for the past two. So if you're coming in late again, make sure to check out our last episodes with Tad on there to learn about everything we've been talking about and his point of view of the thoroughbred. And in previous podcasts, we talked about the engineering of success, but with this, would you move this concept forward for us to talk about actual writing? How would you like to talk about how we engineer success into writing? So as always, I'd like to take a moment just to salute all of the people who are involved in the rehoming efforts for thoroughbreds. I think that's an extraordinarily important thing to do. And as a fan of the thoroughbred, I'm very grateful for all of their efforts. And again, I'd like to use this opportunity to invite professionals and aspiring riders to reconsider the thoroughbred as a sport horse and to remind them that three of America's four Olympic gold medals were won on thoroughbreds. And, And again, as I said in the last uh, podcast. These were done under the auspices of European trainers who, you know, completely familiar with warm bloods, still ended up having this kind of success with American thoroughbred. Anyway, on to engineering success and the idea of doing this in in the, the riding arena. So there are a couple of things I would, you know, that for the sake of being redundant or at the risk of being redundant, I would always stress the importance 
of developing good habits and being consistent. The thoroughbreds are very sensitive, they're very intuitive, they're very responsive, and they're always paying attention to you. You have to remember to first, number one, be attentive, pay attention, observe. That's that's the number one thing that every rider has to do. This goes to for working with them on the ground, goes to working with them on their back. You need to learn how to be quiet. We've talked before about distracted riders. You, you, you have to remember that the good Lord gave you two eyes, two ears, and one mouth. Use them in that proportion. <laughs> you need to reflect on what you are observing. You need to watch and then think about what you're seeing. Don't react right away. Think about it. And then repeat. Observe, reflect, repeat. That's just a great motto. People are always saying to me, oh, I wish horses could talk. They are talking. The problem is that we're not listening well enough, and we have to develop mm -hmm. that skill, and that's really important. So anyway, on to riding. First, a quick word about grooming. <laughs> horses need to be clean. Riders need to have clean gear, and they need to be clean themselves. I come from the background of pony club and I'm going to call it the Gladstone Standard. The United States Equestrian <laughs> Team had, a, had its training center when, the, when they had a training center in Gladstone, New Jersey. It was the most mm -hmm. extraordinary place, and it was impeccably clean. And there's a lot of value to that in engineering your success. It's a very important part, so I won't belabor that. What I do want to throw in here is what I think is a very important tool, which is the Monty Roberts halter. And I think everybody that has a thoroughbred should have one of these halters. They are the best value. They're one of the most significant tools that I think you can put in the hands of a thoroughbred owner. They're very kind. They really help manage horses on the ground. And I, I didn't talk about that enough before, but I just want to reiterate that. So one of the first things that I would always stress as far as a habit is concerned is picking out the horse's feet. When you take them out of the stall, pick their feet. Why? Because when you pick their feet, you learn about their legs. And if you're always running your hand down their legs to pick up your feet, pick up their feet, you're going to learn about the condition of their feet, and you're going to learn about the condition of their legs. It's an extraordinarily good habit. Tacking up. It's a DIY exercise. Do it yourself. I always tack up my own horses. I never have anybody else tack them up. Most, maybe most of your listeners are going to just take that for granted. But there are plenty of places that one can go where you arrive and the horse is tacked up for you. I don't believe in that because there's too much observing and learning that happens during the tacking up process. And during that process, it's really important, again, to pay attention. Absolutely. You need, you need to check the horse's back before you put the saddle on and after you take the saddle off. Back soreness should be no surprise. I, I too often hear the vet came because my horse wasn't going well and he discovered that my horse's back was sore. That's not for the, that's not for the veterinarian to do. Your job is to know whether the horse's back is sore because you've checked it before you've ridden and you've checked mm -hmm. it when you got off. If there is back soreness, there's going to be a problem somewhere down the line, somewhere else, if not just in the back. We'll circle back to this, to this idea later. But the, the thing to remember is that when it comes to saddle fit, mm -hmm. the horse is the expert. 
He's the only legitimate expert because he's the one that's feeling it. So anyway, we'll come back and we'll come back to that. I wanted to next talk about getting on <laughs> because this is actually something that one has to think about a lot. It's probably the most dangerous part in all of riding is getting on a horse. Once you're on, you've you got a leg on each side, you're, good to, you're more or less good to go. But in that awkward moment when you're not quite on, that's where a lot of things can happen and can go wrong. And I think it's important to understand, particularly for people that have retired racehorses, that the jockey is extraordinarily light. Most exercise riders are pretty light and they get tossed up by someone on the ground. And oftentimes when the horse is moving. So think about the, the, the change now that occurs when we take them out of that environment, we get on our standard way. I think that Jamie had a very good discussion with Monty Roberts about her use of the mounting block. I don't remember mm-hmm. what episode it was, but that, that, that was, she has a good strategy for that. And I would suggest that anybody who wants more information on that, that to, to go back and, and review that. I always use a mounting block. And one of my pet peeves is that most mounting blocks that, that come in that molded plastic are mm-hmm. unstable and they're not high enough. And I think that I think that they need to be higher so that you're not having to work. I like to just step over the horse's back or make a little jump on so that I'm not having to put my foot in the stirrup. Whether you do it or not, I think that it's worthwhile to, you know, building a mounting block is not complicated carpentry. Make your own mounting block. Get a better tack trunk. Some, something that, that is a little bit higher. And think about the location of it. I've seen mounting blocks in some of the worst possible locations where there's mud puddles all around them or they're underneath a low-hanging roof or something that's completely absurd. Location of the mounting block is very important. Mm -hmm. One of the most important questions that I get asked is with, with a retired racehorse, do I make him stand at the mounting block or not? To stand or not to stand? I like to put it this way. To stand or not to stand is not the question. It's how you land that really is important. And I think that when I watch people get on, that's your handshake to the horse. Mm-hmm. That's your introduction to his back. So if your whole job as a rider is to get the horse to use his back and be soft and elastic through his back, and you get on like a ton of bricks and you land to the back of the saddle. Forget about it. That horse has no, he's starting off with a bad idea in his back. Mm -hmm. So that's the time to be an athlete. That's the time to consider the word alight. You need to get on a horse, whether you're, whether, whether you're heavy or you're light, you can land and ride lightly or not. So that's very important to to think about that. Absolutely. And Tad, this is all phenomenal. I hope all of our listeners are writing it. You basically just gave us the full checklist from start the moment you pull your horse out, getting ready for the ride, all the way to not plopping, but lightly sitting on the saddle. Politely, I like to think of it. This is all amazing thoughts. And I think it's a big part of preventing horse injury, basically. You're basically trying to make it as comfortable and pleasurable for your horse. So moving into the actual riding with this, how would you say with a racehorse that we can get success out of them with riding by being light, being attentive? What are your tips for that? 
obviously this is a huge subject and so all we're going to be able mm-hmm. to do is very, very lightly touch on a, a couple of, of co- concepts but I think of I think it's useful to think of riding as ballroom dancing you know where you where, where you are a partnership you're in contact and mm-hmm. one leads and the other follows and both partners have to have their own independent balance but moving together and the earlier one gives a cue as to what you is coming on next the better it is and the whole idea is to be is to be causal mary wanless who has got a great book called the natural rider which i would strongly recommend talks about the importance of being causal as opposed to being reactive in other words you want to project what it is that you want as opposed mm-hmm in an ongoing relationship, as opposed to leaving the horse in a state of, I would say, quasi-abandonment and correcting him when there, when things happen that you don't want. That's a, very, mm. that's a very different attitude. Here's the rhythm I want you to be in. Here's the direction I want you to go in. Here's the way I want you to bend, as opposed to, no, that's too fast. No, I don't want that. No, this head carriage is not correct. Does that make sense? It's yeah. another way to describe it. Raul de Leon was a wonderful teacher of mine in my early and, and even later days. Always used to, to say that riding, the, the, the role of the rider is to be a benevolent dictator. And I think that that's a good way. I think that's a good way to think about it because what yeah. you don't want to be doing is leaving horses to their own devices. Thoroughbreds take a lot of security in being told what to do, and how to do it. And mm-hmm. I think that's key. So moving on from that, it's, I think it's the next thing to remember is that the cornerstones of riding are rhythm and balance. Mm-hmm. If, if you have nothing else, but you've got rhythm and balance, you've got a lot going for you. And they're not the same. They're very much related. I would call them full brothers, right? And what to, the thing to remember is that anytime there's balance loss, there's a loss of rhythm. And anytime there's an improvement in rhythm, there's an improvement in balance. So the, the two are very much related. So the rhythm of riding is really very simple. It's not like a Latin, it's not like a Latin beat, right? Mm-hmm. It's, very, it's very straightforward. And what good riders have is a really keen ear for that space between the beats so that they can tell when two beats have gotten closer together than they should. And the moment they're even projecting the fact that the next beat is starting to come a little faster, that's when they're interacting with a horse. So you can't do that if you're not aware of it. If you're aware of it, that means that you're riding every stride. And if you want to be safe when you're riding, that's the key to it. Because you are locked in, tuned in, dialed in, and really paying attention. Mm-hmm. People get into trouble when, you know, they're, they're just not paying attention to what's going on underneath them. And the horse is always going to give you clues as to what's coming next. But you have to pay attention to that. So pay, learning to pay attention to rhythm and being 
causal when it comes to the rhythm. So in other words, when you go make a transition from walk to trot, you're not asking the trot for the horse to trot and then see what rhythm he picks up and then, okay, well, maybe I like it, maybe I don't. Mm-hmm. When you go from walk to trot, this is the rhythm I want you to trot in. And you end up being like the the high school orchestra conductor. Sometimes you have to rap on the music stand and say, this is the beat in order for the horse to, to get that idea. That doesn't really, racehorses don't have any sense of that in their work because trot is only a vehicle for getting into the canter and then getting into the gallop. Yeah. So that leads to the next point, which is the majority of work on a retired thoroughbred racehorse needs to be done at the trot, mm-hmm. not at the canter. That's where the training happens. If you spend the majority of your time teaching horses how to trot well, the canter will come much more quickly because horses don't think in terms of walk, trot, canter. They just think in terms of movement. So if they get the concepts down at the walk and at the trot, particularly at the trot, and they develop the musculature to carry themselves and the ability to use their backs and the ability to push, the canter comes much more quickly. And that's a very important thing. It's cantering, cantering a, a, a thoroughbred racehorse for the first time is, can be a little bit of an experience, but much less so if they've really learned how to trot well. That makes so, perfect sense, Ted. Oh, I love it. The final thing that I'll talk about in terms of riding here is that your number one influence is your presence. That's the same on the ground. That's the same with riding. We talked in one of the earlier episodes of watching Monty Roberts on the ground and how precise he is and what his posture is like and how his, he, he, he's got total body control. And that's, that ends up giving Monty Roberts a, a certain presence. And that presence has an effect on the horses that he's working with because they're always watching him. The same thing is true with the rider's seat when they're on a horse. It's a, it's a presence that one has. And if you look at great riders through the ages, they have lovely posture. They have very precise movements. They're not sloppy and haphazard. And this is all something that we can work on. People need, Jack Legoff always used to say, the rider's seat is the alpha and omega of riding. And it's something that we can work on and we can cultivate. I I can't stress enough how cross-training, doing Pilates, doing yoga, doing being fit, being cultivating your athletic skills are very important to cultivating this idea of presence. Mm. The next idea would be to understand that your number one aid is your intention. (laughs) And you can see this with kids on ponies. A kid that is willing a pony to trot will make that pony trot. And you go to a a riding school and, and you watch another kid who doesn't really want to trot. He's being told by the riding instructor to trot or maybe to canter, and he doesn't really have his heart in it. So he's asking a question with a question. But will you trot? <laughs> and so the pony's smart and figures out, no, this kid doesn't really want to trot. Intention is everything. If you ask a, a, a question or ask it, make a command, don't do it with the, the the raising of your voice, so to speak, at the end. You don't say canter. The last part of the aid has to be with the greatest amount of influence and intention. 
one last thing when it comes to your influence and your and your intention and your presence and all of it. It's always done through the agency of the saddle. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we have to really think about. And I don't know if most of your viewers have seen or listeners have seen what an exercise saddle looks like on the inside. But if there was an instrument of torture, that would be it because it has the, the tree is completely reinforced with metal and the tree end is wood and metal. And the tree ends is two prongs on either side of the horse's back, right at the base of the withers, right where one would sit. Now the exercise riders will say, well, we don't sit down. It doesn't mean that isn't having an extraordinary amount of influence on the horse's back. So what I would say to anyone is that anyone who's dealing with a retired racehorse is most likely dealing with a damaged back. And that's a problem. It's not to say that other horses don't have damaged back, but in the thoroughbred raising industry, the idea that you would put 200 to $500 piece of junk on a million dollar racehorse makes mm -hmm. no sense to me. And the fact that no one has re-engineered an exercise saddle with the idea of eliciting greater mobility and more fluidity and greater stride length while in motion is j just speaks to how unevolved that industry is in many ways. And I think that it's a shame, but it's a reality and we have to deal with it. So one of the things that, you know, obviously I manufacture saddles, but my primary interest is answering the question, what could we do with a saddle that would change fundamentally the horse's experience with that piece of tack so yeah. that our presence on their back is not detracted by the saddle, but is actually enhanced by the saddle. Many people miss these cues, but a lot of times when you walk towards a horse with a saddle, they start pawing, putting their ears back, getting anxious. They know what's coming. They don't like it. And they're screaming out, don't put that thing on my back. That's a... <laughs> That's a bad way to start a ride, right? Mm -hmm. Imagine, and we, we talked about this, a little, Jamie talked about this a little bit with the therapy. Here we're bringing something that's essentially going on their back in the exact same place as the saddle, and it's bringing them goodness, right? Think about how the dynamics would change if we had something like that. So that's the question that I've been trying to answer for the last nearly 30 years how much resistance would go away if we had something fundamentally different is another way to, th to think about it. the horse is a very complex engineering system. We know that because nobody's been able to make a robotic horse that moves like a horse, jumps like a horse, goes like a horse. Mm -hmm. The human being is a complicated engineering system. Why do we know that? No one's made a robot that can move, dance and do things the, the way a human can. Winston Churchill said that the, the, one of the, the, the greatest secrets is that which goes on between a man and his horse. And that's happening in this interface between these two 
complicated engineering systems. And what's there? The saddle. And what is a saddle? It's perhaps the most rudimentary piece of equipment known to man. You know, it's, it, it has no sophistication. Saddle manufacturers now are putting Bluetooth and all these kinds of things in there. So what? That's not sophisticated. That's not mm-hmm. changing the dynamics, the, the biomechanical properties of that interface. So when you have two engineering systems separated by a, a rudimentary interface, you're going to degrade what's on either side of them. It's just that simple. So one of the things that we, I think that there needs to be a push by the entire equestrian industry to go to saddle manufacturers and say, we need something better. We need you guys to invest more in engineering and, and biomechanics than in all kinds of fancy bling and, and colors and whatnot on the top of the saddle because it's affecting our horses back. So the number one issue or one of the main issues with thoroughbred racehorses is kissing spine. What does kissing spine come from? It comes from muscles being in a constant state of contraction due to pain that's causing the spinal processes to come closer together. That's induced by saddles. Horses don't get kissing spine out in the field by themselves. And it's not cured by turning horses out and just leaving them alone because those muscles have to be induced into a state of health, well-being, and relaxation in order for those spinal processes to go apart. So all of this is to, to, (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm I'm ranting, but this is extraordinarily important to me. It's my Mm -hmm. life. And I think that we have to do much more in the way of investigating this interface between rider, horse, and saddle in, in order to really get horses to enjoy what they're doing and partner up. So I'll say one last one last thing about it. it. It's always, the adage is always, if you get lost, drop the reins and your horses will find the way home. One of the reasons they want to find the way home is because they want it to end. <laughs> because they're in a state of tolerance, but mm-hmm. not necessarily enjoyment. And I've had the, 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 the pleasure of having completely different responses from horses where you drop the reins and they won't go back to the barn because they're enjoying themselves. That's mm-hmm. what we want. That's exciting. Take a thoroughbred and, and, and have them be in, in such a state that they just want the ride to continue because they're enjoying this relationship with you. And, and a lot of that has to do with, with what they feel through their back. It's the nerve center. Tad, this is pure gold. And I, I love how you've really brought full circle. The, the most important thing is being present and being an active listener. I I couldn't encourage it more to turn your phone off. Don't worry about getting the selfie, the video, the whatever, listening to your music to have that perfect ride. Be with your horse. And you talked about that from the the first part of the series all the way through the end. And I think that's something all of us need to take home and think about. And yeah, is your horse, if you could truly answer the question, do you believe your horse is really enjoying what they're doing right now or Do you think they just tolerate it? Ask yourself that today and answer it honestly. And then if you can't say an honest yes fully, what do you need to start doing differently to get there? So those are amazing points you brought to the table today. Well, I hope it's useful. 
Absolutely. Well, I think we'll probably have to get you back on because there's just a wealth of knowledge with you that we just have to pull out. There's so much we could cover. We barely got into talking about the importance of good quality feet and having the perfect saddle fit. And like, I, there's just so much we could talk about with you. So we'll definitely get Tad back for everyone. If there are questions that you specifically have for him, feel free to share that with us on our social media or email us. We'd love to hear it and we'll make sure to, to plug that his way for when we get him back. So Tad, thank you for coming back to the show. We really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. You're entirely welcome. Thank you. She's basically part of the Retired Resource Radio squad. Now we have Leandra Cooper from New Vocations with us to bring us another fab training tip as well as our Adoptable Horse of the Week. Welcome to the show, Leandra. Oh, hello. Oh, man. Well, I have a great question for you. Now that summer, spring's finally happening, we're finally getting some warm weather. How do you like to desensitize your horse to clippers as we clean them up for their beautiful photos and shows? That's a great question because many of the horses are obviously not used to getting clipped and the sound and just the feeling of it can certainly intimidate many of them. So I would say first off, definitely helps to have somebody help you to have an extra hand because what we have found is that in like a lot of different scenarios, when you're introducing a horse to something in the cross size, which I think just many of us do, like you're ready to go with clipping them and all that, you have them in the cross size. But if they meet the resistance of the cross size and they're scared, then a lot of times those end up broken and you don't want to have a loose horse. So mm-hmm. if you're going to have a horse in cross size, it definitely helps to have them on a lead rope with somebody rather than have them clipped. You can also do something similar in their stall. Like you want them to be confined so that they don't have that knee jerk reaction of just getting away. And potentially you, you could be in that way if they're scared as you're introducing them. So it just really helps if you can have an extra hand. And the first thing I would say, because it's the one that will or hit them first is the sound of it. So I would turn on the clippers and I let them just hear it and just give yourself a second, give them a second and just see how they react to the sound alone. So I will usually let them sniff it. Many of them are curious about it. Some of them just don't want to be anywhere near it. And you really don't want to go in that immediate sort of red zone for them. So if you can think about it, their comfort zones as actual physical spaces and you can say, here's your red zone, here's your yellow zone, here's your green zone. And you can see as you're approaching with the scary sounding object where they're kind of unfazed by things, where they're like feeling kind of cautious, and then where they meet their red zone. And you, maybe you get lucky and they don't have a red zone and you can just kind of take things slowly. But when they are scared, there is kind of like a physical point where they're like, now you are burst this bubble Mm-hmm. in the red zone and so our job is to kind of stretch that zone so that the red hopefully sort of disappears because the the red becomes yellow and then slowly becomes green and so that is just the slow patient process but it's all going to happen by letting observing how they react to things just taking it slow and like I said some people will sort of just go too quickly and try to just operate in the red zone where mm-hmm. you the way that horses work, how their brains work, how they do best is a kind of 
push and retreat method. So you might introduce it to them and maybe if they step away from it, you step away too. So you can sort of show it to them and then back off and then come back with it. And sometimes they're curious, they, they want to approach you. So it's a little bit of a dance, but it's not just all on the offense. You want to sort of approach them, step back, give them a second to process, see how they react. And by doing that's how you kind of stretch that the zones so that hopefully you can get into that operating area where they're comfortable and then just be cognizant of the fact that a lot of them are going to be more nervous around their ears um, because it's scary. It sounds like a ginormous dinosaur bug going into their ears or something and just use your other hand, just get them sort of used to, the touch like you you don't want to surprise them with anything so you can be like petting them and then put the vibrating flipper on them for a moment and then step back from it so it's it really if you think about it like a dance and think about it in those different comfort zones so that you can kind of have this understanding of where you are with things and then just watch how it changes then it, there's no real magic to it because every horse is going to be a little mm-hmm. different, but it's more, I think it's easier to sort of chew on that in your approach of introducing them to clippers rather than just throw them into it and say, ah, get over it because that's how people really get hurt. Absolutely. I love the analogy of thinking it like, like a dance and taking your time and almost learning to two step with your horse, if you will. So (laughs) I'm sure you would definitely recommend to people don't wait the day before the show to clip your horse for the first time. Probably not the smartest. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yes. I would give yourself at least a week because it's amazing how a week can mask even things that seem like disasters. And because you're always going to have little spots that you want to touch up and you want to be able to do that where you have the time to do that. And and then you're not going Mm -hmm. to be at three different lengths of hair all over their body or whatnot. Give yourself at least a week. Your horse is going to benefit from it. And you're definitely going to benefit from it from an aesthetic point. if, If not from just your partnership with your horse. Absolutely. Great tips, Leandra. Thank you so much. And speaking of well-groomed horses, let's go to our adoptable horse of the week. We have Moonlander. Tell us about him. Well, it's funny that you say that because actually I was thinking this picture is unlike our other pictures because we kind of wanted to expose him to the world before our typical pictures. Usually they're very beautified. And Moonlander, who is the horse we're talking about today, he this was a picture that we just took over at our rehab barn because he's such an exceptional horse in terms of his looks and his personality that we sort of fast-tracked him on getting him online and just letting the world see him, we think that he could be, for the right person, he's going to be such an amazing prospect. So Moonlander, I also want to point out that there are so many amazing opportunities for a barn name here that we had a hard time just settling on one. We kind of call him Mooney. He's over at our training barn now. We just started him under saddle and actually have a video that should be uploading as we speak so that that should be up on his profile and available to people who want to look at him. But he's a 16-1 gelding. He's a 2017, so he just turned four. He was a little bit hot when he came in. He had just been gelded. And as he has had more time to adjust to the schedule and being gelding and whatnot, he has just become such an easygoing personality. 
and he did have a sesamoid fracture that was healing, which is why he was over at the rehab barn, but he's mm-hmm. doing so well. He's been checked up by our vet. Like I said, he just started under saddle and he just has this really natural carriage to him. So I'm really excited about him. And right now, because of our adoption fee special, so with our early adoptions or rehab adoptions, we usually have them at our $500 adoption fee tier. And with the adoption fee special that we have going on for May for the adopt a horse month, he's only $300. So it's really quite practically free, $300 practically free. And he's got the sweetest face. Like he's just got the kindest eye beautiful back. Like I, for me as a dressage person, I love kind of a shorter straight back. Mm -hmm. He's got a nice build. He's solidly built. So he's definitely going to be able to carry his own. I really think he could go in a lot of directions, which is nice. He can go dressage. I think he could even be a nice hunter or even go Mm -hmm. the Western route. If you're looking for a Western thoroughbred, he's kind of got that nice quarter horsey head. So he's a really flashy dude. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons I wanted to talk about him today is also his sire's Malibu Moon, who just passed Mm -hmm. away. So as a tribute to him, I mean, this is definitely a horse who's reminiscent of his dad because he's just, he's stunning. He has that really nice athletic build, and many of the Malibu Moons just have this really great athletic, but also kind brain. So I think that he's just going to be such a talented athlete and just a good personality for mm-hmm. an adopter. So I think he's going to be a neat one. Absolutely. So check out Moonlander at horseadoption.com as well as all the other horses available through new vocations. Thank you so much, Leandra. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You can find our show notes and links to today's guest on the website at retiredracehorseradio.com. Like us on Facebook or Instagram, just check for retired racehorse radio and guys, Y'all are really pulling through for me on these likes. We are so close to getting our $500 mark, which by the way, there is going to be a giveaway once we get there. So we're about just about 65 away. So share it with your friends, you know, plug it with your family, put it on your social media, get us those likes, and then you might find yourself with a box of crap and you'll really like it. Uh, Also follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. Follow Jamie on her Facebook page, Flyover Farm, Jamie Jennings, Certified Monty Roberts Instructor, or shoot her an email at jamie at horseradionetwork.com. My email is joy at horseradionetwork.com, or find me on Instagram at the Foodie Equestrian. Thank you so much to our sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products and Cashel Company, and don't forget to check out all of their shows at the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Remember to set your goals high and love to learn from every ride. George, you should say Jamie's line. Uh, oh, uh, and spay, neuter, and geld. Bye, guys.